You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests, on the Gov, we talk about all things relating to golf performance so you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. What's up, Dubsters? So I have Steve Beverly here today. So this is another interview that I did in my Facebook group which I do pretty regularly on Wednesdays. I either talk myself or I interview somebody in the field. He is the owner of Hole-in-One Physical Therapy and Golf Fitness. So let's listen up to what he's got. He's got some great knowledge for us, specifically regarding back pain today. Have a good one. All right. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? So uh, I've got Steven here. So he is our Steve. And... Um, <clears throat> He's going to be talking to us a little bit more about back pain and golfers. So, Steve, why don't you give us just a brief overview of what you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm a physical therapist. been a PT for about 10 years. I've been TPI certified for uh, working with golfers specifically for about five years. And uh, about six months ago, started my own practice. The What I got on my shirt here, hole-in-one physical therapy, where I'm really just trying to, to gear myself towards focusing on golfers and golf fitness and uh, keep, keeping people playing good, healthy, pain-free golf late into life. So I've uh, been doing that for about the last six months or so. And uh, I'm also an avid golfer myself. So it's always nice when uh, you, you can do for a living something that you're passionate about doing for yourself. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Love the name, by the way. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, all right. So what are um, some common things that you see with the golfers that you work with and those that have back pain. Yeah, so that's a, that, that's a great question because back pain obviously is a big thing in, in the golfing community, whether it be recreational golfers that play just, you know, a handful of times here or there or professional golfers that are playing, you know, four-day tournaments every week or really anywhere in between. A lot of golfers have back pain uh, more so than really any other injury that we see in golf. Um, what, I, what I've seen from the patients that I treat that have back pain with golf really doesn't seem like it tends to change that much from your amateur kind of weekend warrior golfers up to the more high level competitive golfers. I've never worked with any PGA tour pros myself, but I've had a handful of college golfers and, you know, the ones that, that do tend to have back pain all sort of seem to present in a similar way uh, in terms of the way that their, their body's moving in and where they may have some biomechanical restrictions. So the main things that I tend to notice are, uh, limited hip internal rotation, specifically in the lead leg. So if you're a right-handed golfer, it would be your left hip lacking internal rotation. Uh, limited thoracic spine mobility, thoracic spine being the, the uh, middle portion of your spine, basically the area between your shoulder blades, which is where we're supposed to get a lot of rotation from in our golf swing. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't. And then oftentimes weakness in the glutes as well. 
those really seem to be the, the three biggest things as far as physical limitations or restrictions that I've seen. Um, and then as far as the golf swing itself goes, uh, people going into reverse spine angle, which is a term that basically means that as you get to the top of your backswing, your upper body starts to tilt towards the target. Uh, and when that happens, then when you come into your downswing, winds up putting a lot more stress and, and strain on your uh, lumbar spine that can lead to low back pain. So we see a lot of people who get pain specifically with golf and maybe not in other areas of their life so much just because they've got that characteristic in their swing. So those are some of the main things that I've noticed that a lot of people that come to me that have low back issues will exhibit uh, one or multiple of those things. Okay. So there was uh, some mobility um, in there. There was some technique in there as well. Yeah. Um, during her strength, was there strength like this? Glutes, was it? Yep. Yeah. Glute, um, glute strength. A lot, a lot of times the people that I see that have low back pain have weakness in their glutes as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I agree with that. That's what I see a lot too in that. Yep. So. Okay. So with, I guess with those, why don't we talk about what are some, some things that they can do to adjust or how do you usually adjust those things? Yeah, sure. So that that really then gets into, uh, you know, obviously it can be very different on a case by case basis, depending on uh, how old the client is, what their athletic and injury history may be and kind of where they're at from just an overall fitness standpoint. Um, but I'll just point out a few things that I really like um, that if you go on the TPI website, they've got a little bridge progression on there for, for focusing on getting the glutes going and building up strength that I think works really well and can easily be customized or tailored to um, each individual person based on where they're at, what they can and can't do, what they're good at, what they struggle with. You know, you can do that little bridge progression that seems to work really, really well. Um, as far as um, the thoracic spine mobility issues go, there's tons of different options as far as exercises, stretches, and mobilizations you can do for that. Um, one that I really like is a, a stretch called the open book which is where you're laying on your side, your knees come up a little bit, you take your top arm and just roll over to the side like you're trying to put your back flat on the ground. That's a, a nice simple one that a lot of people can do pain-free that gets some mobility in the thoracic spine. Um, one of the treatment that I do that I've had really good success with as well, specifically in the thoracic spine, is I do a treatment called dry needling. Um, if you know most PTs are familiar with it, a lot of people may not be, but uh, depending on which state you're in, uh, you may or may not be able to do it as a physical therapist, but here in Illinois, we've been able to do it for the last few years now, and I, I got certified in that about two years ago. So since I've been doing that on patients, uh, specifically with thoracic spine mobility restrictions, that has really made a big difference in terms of opening up some mobility there. Okay. Um, why don't you describe a little bit about dry needling? I do know what you're talking about, um, but for those that don't. For anybody that may not. So uh, it uses a small monofilament needle uh, and we'll put it directly into whatever muscle may be affected, whatever muscle we're trying to treat. Um, in this case, we're talking about the thoracic spine. So the muscles along each segment of the spine, we'll put the needles right into those. Uh, and you can either move the muscle around to try to elicit what's called a twitch reaction, which is basically just like a little sudden Charlie horse in the muscle, or you can run electrical current through the needle that causes the muscle to twitch and pump a little bit. And then after that, it gets it to kind of relax and let go. So basically just sticking a needle into the muscle, run a little bit of electrical current through it, and uh, it works as sort of like a neurological reset for the muscle. So if, if the muscle is too much tone or it's essentially in a state of spasm, it'll get it to calm down and relax. Or if the muscle's uh, neurologically not being innervated or, or not firing the way that we want it to, it'll help to kind of wake it up and get it coming back to life. So uh, that's that's the, the short story of it. 
Yeah, I usually explain that, you know, I can sit there and stick my thumb on your on your muscle and press for a while and that will get it the, the reset that we're looking for. We yeah. can stick the needle in it real fast and get the reset and it's over within a few few seconds. And so I usually yeah, give that yeah. tell that that usually helps people to understand, you know, the difference, you know. So kind of the same principle as like a massage or something along those lines, whatever you want to yep. term it as. Okay. Awesome. Um so we mentioned the hip mobility and thoracic mobility, we mentioned the glute strength, okay. Um, if you guys, the, the reverse twine angle, there's a technique, so having those issues, teaching pros, the, the best place to go for that, obviously, um, us as yeah. physical therapists can help you if there's a physical limitation that is causing that, um, so maybe mobility or something like that, or strength-wise, then, then yes, you we can help you out there, but teaching pros can be, hey, let's get you squared up there so you're not doing that yeah, crazy. Crazy in, that, thing. in that regard, I think it's really important to have a team approach to this type of thing. So, uh, you know, but in a perfect world, you'd have somebody like a physical therapist or a healthcare professional who's working on uh, allowing your body to be able to move the way that we want it to move. But at the end of the day, then really in order to get the optimal result, um, the technical work has got to be done with a teaching pro who knows the golf swing, you know, who's been teaching it for years and, and can get the golfer then to do exactly what it is that they want them to do as far as the technique is concerned. Um, it, for the most part, I try to stay away from doing any of that because I'm not a teaching pro. I don't give lessons and I don't know any more than, you know, what I've read in golf magazine and try to figure out for my own swing. So I will always encourage my clients if they're not already working with a teaching pro to seek one out. Um, but in, in the rare cases where I do have somebody that just for whatever reason is not going to a teaching pro and I'm the only one giving them any sort of instruction, I'll, I'll do my best as I can to try to get them to, to get out of that reverse spine angle or whatever else is going on. But definitely a team approach is, is where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Yeah, I yeah. definitely agree. Um, cause I actually saw a teaching pro just a couple of weeks ago and, and realizing I wasn't actually getting a good turn. I was using a lot more shoulder than I was. And I, you know, never even realized it even through, through video or whatnot, because, all right, this is my swing. That's what it looks like. And then he's like, uh, yeah, you're not using your mid back at all. You're using shoulders. I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. So anyways, um, they definitely see, see things differently because they understand the swing mechanics a whole lot better than we do. For sure. And then the opposite of that would be, uh, you know, if you're just going to see a teaching pro and you, you're working on all sorts of different drills and techniques and things to try to correct your swing, if you've got a physical limitation, a, a, an actual restriction in your body that's not allowing you to do whatever the teaching pro wants you to do, you can see the best teaching pro in the world for a lesson every day for the rest of your life, and you're not going to fix that problem unless you can get your body to move the way that, that we want it to be able to move. Yep, yep. So and it goes both ways, but uh, it that's does. why the approach is so effective. Yeah, that actually brought up, you know, with that that teaching pro, I was like, well, actually, I don't, I'm not, they don't turn very well through my my lead leg, so that hip internal rotation you're talking about, and yeah. wasn't turning, getting that turn through there because it's just limited, and so I knew I needed, all right, I need to work on that. That makes that makes two of us. <laughs> I think there's a lot more than that too. Yeah. Um, all right, awesome. So. Those are some of the common things. Thank you for, for going over that. What are yeah. what are some common questions that you get from, from golfers in general regarding back pain? Obviously, I'm sure you get a ton. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do get a ton. Uh, the main question that I get from golfers, I'd say, is how do I get my low back to be more flexible? Which is really kind of a, a misleading question because, again, probably 90, 90, I would say close to 99% of the time, 
we actually see people that have pain in their low back when they golf because they're getting too much movement through their lumbar spine. So people want to know, oh, how can I stretch out my low back? When really, I've been out to tell them, we don't want you to stretch out your low back. It's already moving too much as is. We need to, to get it to where everything else around it is moving uh, in order to, to alleviate the problem. So uh, Greg Rose, who's one of the founders of TPI, always has a saying that I love. From the lumbar spine is usually the, the innocent bystander. It's not the culprit. And I think he's, he's so right. It's that more often than not, it's the thoracic spine, which is the, the uh, middle portion of the spine that we've talked about previously. Your hips uh, are not moving as well as they should. And the low back is kind of caught in between there. And it feels the effects and feels the brunt of that. So, you know, as far as questions are, are go, I think the number one that I get the most is how do I stretch out my low back? Because people feel like they need to stretch it out. And really, that's not, not what we want them to be doing in the first place. Uh, so in regards to, to back pain, that's, I'd say, the, the number one most common that I get. I also get some who are asking about, uh, you know, what type of warm-up should I be doing, which I love because I think that's a very important part of uh, both controlling and managing low back pain and also from a performance standpoint. I think it's a very important aspect to, uh, to a golfer's game that gets kind of overlooked and underutilized. Uh, and then, of course, I also get a lot of questions about, how do I increase club head speed hitting the ball farther? Everybody wants to hit the ball farther. So that's always a, that's a popular yeah. one as well. Everybody wants to be DJ or Rory. So. Oh yeah. Um, real fast. Well, you want to talk a little bit about what your warm up is that you, you tend to recommend for people and talk yeah, through sure. it. If you got space short, feel free to move around, but at least talk us through it a little bit. Sure. So what I typically like to do is I give people a few different options as far as a warm up is concerned. Um, because I, I understand that not everybody has, let's say, an hour to get to the course before they're going to play to go through like a, a full active warm up where they're going to be working up a sweat and then hit balls at the range and hit some practice putts and chip shots. And like not everybody has that time like a professional would on tour to be able to go through that full routine. Sometimes people aren't warming up because they're playing golf after work or dropping their kids off or whatever the case may be. They get to the course and it's like five minutes to tea time. Yeah. So I like to give them usually three different options. One is an emergency warm-up that's the, you know, came straight from work and I've got five minutes before I've got to be on the first tee ready to go. At least get your legs moving, get your arms moving, and do a couple other things just to kind of get the blood flowing a little bit before you head to that first tee. Then I'll give them a moderate one, which is if we've got, let's say, 15 to 20 minutes to warm up where you can actually get a little bit more uh, of, like a sweat going before you're going to then uh, actually pick up a golf club and start taking swings with it. And then I have a third option, which is, if you are the type of person who can get to the golf course beforehand, you know, an hour, hour plus and take however much time you need, then we talk about like, okay, are we doing an actual workout as part of it? Are we doing some banded resistance? Are we working with weights? What does the golf course have available to you? What are some things that you can do at the clubhouse there? Do they have any equipment? Uh, you know, that gets into a much longer, more detailed conversation as to kind of uh, what they've got available to them. But I like to kind of phase it like that, where I give them three different options uh, a bare minimum emergency warm-up session where you've only got a few minutes, a moderate one that's probably more common that people will go to, and then the other one where you've got no limitation in terms of time and resources. Yeah, all right, cool, cool. Um, <clears throat> and that's another one I've right, been so guilty of myself as well, where sometimes I'm getting to the course with, you know, five, ten minutes to go, and <laughs> I, yeah. I understand the warm-up doesn't always happen, but it is important. Yeah, um, you know, the, the standard just like, oh, I'm going to rotate here. All right, we're ready to go. Please, all right, practice, <laughs> I'm good to go. 
uh, yeah, no, definitely done that on, uh, numerous times. It always happens, you know, especially when you're like, oh, I'm going to get around in, in this afternoon after after seeing some people. And then you're like, oh, yeah. get to the course. You're like, okay, more tea times in five minutes. Um, yeah. so. or, or if you're playing early in the morning on a weekend, maybe you sleep to the alarm, hit the snooze a couple too many yeah. times, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> happens to the best of us. Yeah, yeah definitely. So let's talk a little bit about more uh, that persistent pain of uh, somebody that's been having pain for for an extended period of time. What are some things that they can they can do? What are things they need to kind of look at? Um, obviously, if whoever's listening to this, if you've been having persistent pain and it's been going on, um, I would highly encourage you seeking out somebody that is a healthcare provider that can that can assess you because that's one of the more crucial parts of figuring out okay what is actually causing this pain. But let's go ahead and yeah. So I I like. I like to say that same thing in any of my, my social media posts that I do as well, right? I may be giving tips or, you know, tricks here or there, but I always put in there, if you're having problems with this, the first step should always be to seek out a healthcare provider in your area so that you can get actual, you know, customized treatment to figure out exactly what's going on for you. But that being said, one of the common things that I see with people who are having chronic persistent pain, especially if we're talking about the low back, uh, mm -hmm. is it, it, an inability or intolerance to really loading the spine like they should be able to. So. Um, when we're talking about loading the spine, I mean, actually being able to, to move some weight around in the gym, whether it be a deadlift, a squat, things like that, um, that I think people with chronic pain really, really struggle with. So obviously those are exercises that need to be done safely and properly in order to ensure that you're not going to further injure the, the, the client as they're doing the exercise. But I love getting people into doing a little deadlift progression if they've had chronic low back pain, because I think it's important to retrain those muscles in that area of the body, how to handle a load again, because it's probably been a long time since that person has done that if they've had chronic pain. So I'll start them off just with a dowel rod or a golf club, basically lined up along their spine so that they can get a good tactile cue there of keeping a nice flat neutral spine to go into a deadlift. Once they seem like they've kind of mastered that from a technique standpoint, uh, then you can start to gradually increase a little bit of weight to it, whether it be with a bar or a kettlebell or whatever. Uh, whatever you've got as far as weight goes, and then gradually progress it from there, making sure that we're doing it safely, of course. Um, and I'm also always more concerned with proper technique as compared to depth with the deadlift. So especially early on to start off, I always tell people, I really don't care if you're, you know, let's say we've got a, a bar with plates on either side. Uh, I really don't care if you're getting the plates to touch all the way to the ground. If it's going down to the knees or if we've got some boxes that are set up to raise the ground up a little bit, that's totally fine. Uh, but I think that a good deadlift progression where you're starting to reintroduce some load to the spine can really go a long way for people with the chronic pain. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100% there on that one. Um, that's one thing that through PT school started struggling with, with uh, some back pain from sitting eight hours in class and then going home and studying for another four or five hours. Yeah. Um, so it definitely wasn't great for my back. And I biked to and from class. So it was like oh, yeah. constantly in that sitting position yeah. um but the you know doing some hip hinging starting that progression of getting into that deadlifting type movement uh yeah. definitely kind of cleared that up and allowed my back to not feel like it was always being strained yeah um, whereas my legs were taking a little bit of the little bit of the stress of of that movement or whatever it was so i, I, I think it's partially a, a psychological thing too that a lot of times people who are who do have chronic low back pain I probably thought for years, oh, I can't do that. I've got a bad back. And if you can get them to that point where they start to realize, oh, wait a second, this is some heavy weight here that I'm actually pulling up from the floor and I feel okay. Sometimes it's a big uh, mental hurdle that we've got to, to overcome and to break through. And once we do, 
makes a big difference in terms of their confidence and, and what they feel they're capable of doing. And, and we see, or I, I tend to think that I, I see those people getting even more and more excited about doing more going forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> the big thing is that progression, right? So again, we go back to have somebody that, that's qualified and knows what they're doing to, to progress you through that. Um, yeah. if, if you're looking at doing this, uh, yeah. and, and making sure we can post a video a little bit about what we're talking about with the hip hinge and the dowel. Cause I think I've got a couple of videos that I may have posted on the group before. I'll try to tag them into this group. Um, yeah. let me be very post. clear that, that I'm not advocating for, if you've got chronic low back pain to just go load up a bar with a ton of weight and start, you know, going to town. It definitely needs to be done slowly, safely, and under supervision of somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, Another common thing with back pain is we see kind of the radicular pain or pain that's going down the leg. Um, thoughts, tips on, on that one there with regards to that. What do you see? Sure. So um, that's another one that I've done a lot of dry needling with lately and have been getting good results as well. If it is true radicular pain that's coming from one of the nerve roots in the lumbar spine there, if you can needle the muscles around that level, that tends to get some really good results as far as decreasing that radicular pain. If you're not somebody who, uh, or if you're not seeing somebody who does dry needling specifically, um, then another thing that I think tends to work really well is positional treatment, almost like a McKenzie method type of treatment, where uh, essentially you can uh, find whatever the whatever positions are uh, relieving pain or the or the ridiculous symptoms that the person is getting, and have them do certain types of movements in that position or in that pattern that I think really in the long term produces some good results uh, as far as getting that ridiculous pain to subside. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so are there particular muscles that you find that kind of, kind of help with that then, um, that maybe if somebody doesn't have, um, that dry needling option, you know, can they, you know, use a tennis ball or something like that to kind of relieve that muscles. Sure. So you find the same, that it's the same effective, I guess. I should have. Yeah. So as far as the, the needling itself goes, typically it's the lumbar multifidi, which are the really deep little, uh, rotators and stabilizers in the lumbar spine, which really I think is just about impossible to get at with anything other than a needle that can penetrate through all, all those layers of muscle to get to the right spot. Uh, if you've got radicular pain that's being caused by the sciatic nerve, then obviously glutes and piriformis are a, a big, big ones to get at there in order to relieve some of the tension off the sciatic nerve because oftentimes it's coming from those muscles in the hip there. Uh, can be anywhere down the chain, obviously, as well. Can be the hamstring and the calf also, but uh, I feel like it tends to be that piriformis and glutes that, that really uh, causes that with the sciatic nerve specifically. Cool. cool. Um, well, what, um, how about you tell us a little bit about how we could reach out to you or contact you if anybody has any further questions or would yeah, like to, sure. maybe if they're in Illinois, they want to work with you. Awesome. So uh, I'm on pretty much every social media out there as one PD, as you can see in the shirt here, holding one with a W. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with uh, with that same handle at hole in one PT. Um, my email address, if you want to reach out to me via email, is Steve at hole in one PT.com. So feel free to send me an email with any questions or anything like that that you may have. Uh, but otherwise, uh, find me on any one of those social media, send me a message, and uh, be happy to talk over any questions that people may have or uh, anything specific to their uh, issues that they're having at the time. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you, Steve, um, for hopping on here. Hopefully, you guys found this pretty beneficial. Uh, we've 
discuss back pain a couple different ways now. So hopefully if you've got some questions, feel free to ask us. Um, I'll be monitoring any posts in, on this video afterwards. And if I can't answer it, I'm sure we'll find somebody. I'll get Steve back on here and he'll answer the questions for us. Uh, but yeah, cool. Anything else you feel like you want to bring up or, or that people will you'd like for people to, to know that you find with back pain and golfers? Well, for right now, the main thing I'd say is obviously we're all spending a whole lot of time at home, hopefully, uh, and probably will be for uh, for the foreseeable future here. So while you're at home, don't give up on your fitness goals. Just because you can't get to the gym doesn't mean that you can't get a great workout. And there's tons of people uh, posting great home workout videos that you can find online. Um, I've, I've got a bunch of stuff coming up this week that I plan on posting that are just uh, exercises that can be done at home without any equipment. But even if it's not from mine, Go, go seek out somebody uh, somebody in your area who's posting online stuff that you can do at home to make sure that you stay fit and strong and active so that when all of this is over with and life goes back to normal, you're ready to hit the golf course and uh, play your best golf. Yep. There's a lot of a lot of information out there now. Uh, a lot of people are doing that exact same thing. I put together a little routine if you guys didn't see it. So um, you reach out to us and we'll definitely help you out. But again, we'll probably try to get Steve on here again. It was great talking with you and get on a different topic there's lots of things we can talk about so sounds good to me i'm down anytime do you want to take your fitness to the next level join our golf fitness tips facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by upping your potential through mobility strengthening and wellness tips again our facebook group is golf fitness tips we'll see you there have a good one